Welcome to the Fellowship Regional Church Podcast. Today, uh, we are going to look at a passage in 1 John. Uh, 1 John is one of those books that I, I really like. Um, kind of have a love, love-hate relationship with the book of 1 John. Um, 1 John was written, of course, by John. And the whole purpose of 1 John, if you read the first five verses, says, What was from the beginning, what we have heard, and what we have seen with our eyes, and what we beheld with our hands, um, concerning the word of life. And the life was manifested, and we have seen and bear witness and proclaim to you eternal life, which was through the Father and manifested to us. What we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also, that you may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with this Son in Jesus Christ. And these things we write, that our joy may be, may be made complete. His whole purpose, he's writing this book back so that people will have joy in the Lord. They will understand what their walk with the Lord is supposed to be like. Um, again, I kind of have a, a love-hate. I love First John because it is simple. Simple. I hate First John because it is simple. Um, it says things like, if we say we haven't sinned, we make him a liar and his word is in, in us. If we say we know him and we don't keep his commandments, we are a liar. If we say we love him, yet we hate our brother, we are a liar. So in a way, you know, sometimes there's parts of scripture we look at and we think we're not really sure what that means. You could maybe debate, you know, what that was. There's a part of the Bible that says that elders and leaders of the church should be a husband of one wife. What does that mean? They were in a divorce. What happens if their first wife died and they remarried? Well, technically they had two wives, right? So does that mean they can't be a leader in the church? Doesn't mean they can't be married twice at the same time. And they've debated this for hundreds of years and people far smarter than me. But there are some parts of the Bible you can look at that maybe... You know, there's some interpretation or you could, you know, lean one way, you could lean the other. But if we say that we love him yet hate our brother, we're a liar. <laughs> you can't debate that, can you? Who's our brother? Well, the Bible tells us, you know, gives the stories that everybody is our brother. And so there's parts of First John that are very simple. Um, but at the same time are hard because they're so black and white. <clears throat> I wouldn't say hard, but um, here, I don't even know how long it goes. Notes in my Bible. There are four tests in 1 John. Uh, the light test, the love test, the compassion test, and the attitude test. And we are going to go through one of those today. The light test. What it means when it talks about in 1 John, the first part of it, um, that God is light. And if his light isn't in us, then we must be walking in darkness. So we are going to look at 1 John 1, verses 5 through 10. And we're just going to kind of walk through this. Uh, verse by verse as we go. So let's read the passage first. Starting at verse 5. And this is the message we have heard from him and announced to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and yet we walk in darkness, we lie and we don't practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with him with one another and the blood of his son cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. 
So let's look at the very first passage, the very, very first. In this message, we have heard from him and announced to you that God is light. First of all, I think we have to describe or explain what is light. Um, and later on, the verse says that uh, if we don't walk in this light, we also don't practice the truth. So in a way, light and truth are the same thing in this passage. So we have to understand that God and light is the source of all truth and knowledge in our life. Should be. Everything that we base our life on should be based upon his principles, not ours. His truth is unwavering, correct? So his light is truth. Second thing we have to understand about light is light helps us to avoid pitfalls. I mean, light exposes dangers, correct? It even exposes the boogeyman, correct? Have you ever noticed when your kids, or you have kids, when you turn the light on, what happens to the boogeyman? He mysteriously disappears. There's no one under the bed. There's no one in the closet when the light's on. So light helps us to avoid dangers. Okay? No one likes to wander around in the dark. I remember when I first got married, my father-in-law and my brother-in-law were huge coon hunters. And they would come back and I'd see them the next day. One would be limping. They'd have scratches all over their face and arms because they're running through the woods all night long in the dark, getting scratched, running into logs, falling down creek banks they couldn't see. And they always wanted me to go. And I'm like, no, I'm not going to go run around. They loved it. But I don't want to go run around in the dark, in the woods, and, and get beat up. But with light, we avoid those pitfalls. So walking in light helps us avoid those pitfalls. Um, the third thing we talked about in, in, in verse 5, it says, In him there is no darkness. The thing you have to understand is in, in, uh, in God's word, there's no fine print. There are no surprises at the end. And I think we've all been in that situation before where you work and you do all these things to get to the end to find out. Oh, we forgot to tell you there's a step you missed or you don't get all the reward because you didn't do this and this and this. Okay? With Christ, there is no hidden agenda. There is no fine print. Everything that we need to know about Christ, everything that we need to know about walking in our Christian walk, He gave us and it's in this word. The good and the bad. Okay? Um, Christ says that He no longer calls us servants because the servant doesn't know what his master does. But he told his disciples, I call you friends, because everything the Father's made known unto me, I make known unto you. So it's like someday we're going to end up in heaven and find out, oh, we don't get all the rewards, we don't because you missed this, and I forgot to tell you, it's not there. There is no darkness in Christ. There are no hidden agendas, hidden rules. Everything we need to know, he's told us. It's just a matter of following his principles. Verses 6 through 10 kind of gets into the application of all of this. Verse 6, if we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. I think the first thing we have to back up and look at this when we talk about walking in the light is salvation. Um, If there's one point in life we are all equal and we are all on the same level playing field, is that we are all guilty. Okay? Everybody is condemned. Nobody is good enough to be in the presence of God without the blood of Christ. And if you look at John 3.16, skip right over it. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, 
that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to judge the world, but that the world should be saved through him. See, Christ didn't come to the world to make people pro-Jesus. He didn't come here to find neutral people and try to sway them one way or the other. Okay? Without him, we are condemned. And it goes on. He who believes in him is not judged, but he who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the judgment, that the light is coming to the world and that men love darkness rather than the light for their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who practices the truth comes to the light and his deeds may be manifested as having been wrought in God. To me, 1 John, this part is, is, is classic good versus evil in a way. All right? And so, since we are all on the same level playing field, all of us need Christ, the bottom line then, the first part about coming to the light is, is, is how we decide to respond to Jesus. All right? Again, he didn't come here to try to sway anybody. He came here to make the guilty not guilty. He came here to make those dead alive. He came to give us life and give us life more abundantly. So the first step in understanding this of walking in light is, have you ever made that decision to personally accept Christ as your Savior? The Bible tells us believing God isn't good enough. It says even the devils believe in God and they tremble. But the Bible says that you must somewhere in your life come to the point where you have made a conscious decision that God, I want you in my life. I want to follow you. I want to make your ways my ways. I want to be able to understand and walk in your light. And I'm willing to surrender my life to you. And so before we go anywhere today, if you've never made that decision, that's something that you really need to look at. Again, coming to church, believing in God, all great things. But the Bible is very clear that if you've never made that decision, if you've never come to a point where you've said, I surrender to you, and the blood of Christ isn't on you. And so, first of all, walking in light is understanding that I have made that decision, that I'm willing to surrender to Him. The second part of walking in light, if you look at that um, in 1 John chapter 7, but if we walk in the light, to walk is an action, correct? I mean, I can't stand up and not move my feet and walk, I'm neutral. And so, to walk takes activity, it takes effort. So to be able to walk in the light is something that we are um, actively trying to do. If we don't walk in the light, basically standing in one place is the same thing as going backwards. Either moving forward toward Christ or you're not moving forward toward Christ. So it says to walk in the light that we are doing things to actively pursue Christ, that we are seeing reality for what it is, and we are trying to constantly make our life what God wants it to be. If you flip back, Ephesians, when Paul writes to the Ephesians in the church in chapter 5, he talks about this. Um, chapter 5, verse 8 says, For you were formerly in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. So once we've made that conversion and we're no longer in the dark, I've accepted Christ as my Savior, a profound change happens in my life. Bible says old things are passed away behold new, all things become new that we are a new creature born again in him the Holy Spirit comes in my life I have something to convict me of my sin but at the same time if I am not actively pursuing 
it doesn't happen. If I want to be a bodybuilder, I want to be on the strongman competitions on TV. I can't go to the fitness center, stand outside, look in the window all day long and expect to get bigger and stronger, correct? If I want to be a great tennis player, what do I got to do? I got to play tennis. Well, it's the same way. If we expect to walk in the light of God, we have to actively be doing things to continue to put my life where it needs to be with Christ. It just doesn't happen. The change happens, the profane profound change happens when the Holy Spirit comes in my life, but it still takes effort on my part to get to that point. Okay? I have to be willing to put my trust in everything I have in Him. And only in Him. Me and my wife teach a couples class. Uh, taught a couple times. We're thinking about uh, starting one up again this August. So couples, if you're interested in a class, let me know. Or talk to one of us. Um, it's a really good class. It's very challenging. There are a lot of parts that um, really push you to get your marriage to a great place. Uh, we've had couples in there um, that were really struggling. We've had couples in there that were just in a good place that wanted to try to get their marriage even better. It's a really good class. But one of the um, things we talk about in there is where you put your trust. If my wife puts all of her trust in me and expects me to make her happy, to be with her on bad days, to take care of all the problems in her life and do all that stuff, I can't do that. I guarantee you I'm going to screw that up. Same way, if I put everything on my wife to make me happy, to fulfill me, to sustain me, there's no way she can do that. There's only one person that I should base everything in my life upon, and that's my Savior. And that's where that walking in light and growing, understanding that I put everything in Him, not on my wife, not on anybody else, but everything in my life should be based upon Him. Wisdom, happiness, when things get hard, all that should be based upon Him and Him alone. Uh, look at verses 9 and 10 in Ephesians. It gives us a couple bases. He says, For you are formerly in darkness, but now you are in now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Verse 9. For the fruit of light consists of goodness, righteousness, and truth, and trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. Gives us four things there. The first, goodness. What is goodness? To me, goodness is I put the benefits of others above myself. I put the benefits of others above myself. I am constantly trying, striving to look at people around me to show God's love to the people around me. Not about you, but when that happens, two things usually happen in my life. Whenever I put the needs of others above mine, what happens? It costs me something, right? It costs me money. It costs me time. It costs me effort. It costs me something. And sometimes I just think, boy, I know I need to do this, but man, I'm tired. I don't have the time. Uh, I should do this. I should. And I get to myself where I'm arguing. The other thing that I have a hard time with sometimes is when I look at people, the ugly part of me comes up. It, it, sometimes it gets judgmental. Well, if they would have taken care of this and this, they would not be in the boat they are. And sometimes I have to remind myself, my job is not to judge people. My job, God tells me, is to be loving, caring, understanding, compassionate. And through that, I can point them to Christ. Not saying... I think we need to be careful. I'm not saying I, I wouldn't say judgmental. The Bible also tells us that we are supposed to point out sin in other people's lives. Okay? Um, we're not supposed to just be accepting of all of their sin. 
but I can be compassionate and help people where they are at the same time be able to explain to them what the love of God is, what the Bible says about where they are, and do that in a non-judgmental way. But at times I have found where I think I should go help so-and-so, but that judgmental part of me comes out, well, it's been the third time this month I've helped them do this. You think that that's not my job. Goodness, put benefits of others above myself. Second one, righteousness. Righteousness is being just and fair in your dealings with others. Just and fair with your dealings of others. You ever heard your grandpa say back in my day, a handshake was all you needed? Just and fair. Read something the other day. It said, if you think about all the people you hang around, whether it's your group that you hang around at work, whether it's all your friends or whatever, and you're not there, and your name comes up in conversation, what do they say? It's kind of a humbling thought. Is it it's a great guy? Or is it trust him as far as I can throw him? So righteousness. Can people look at you? Does your word mean something? Are you true? Are you honest? The next one in there is truth, which kind of speaks for itself. The Bible says that no unwholesome word come out of your mouth. Do you speak the truth? Or do people wonder sometimes when you give your word or you say something, what are you meaning? And the last part in verse 9. Excuse me, in verse 10. Trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. Again, that's that activity, that constant walk. Sometimes I think as Christians we think we got saved and we're there. That's it. I got saved and I'm, I'm perfect. <laughs> no more sin. Right? And sometimes I also think we forget, you know, those of us who have been Christians for a long time and we've been down that road and we fought a lot of battles... And we see someone else who just got saved. We can't figure out why they don't get it. And we forget 10 years ago I was there. I've done that. Been there. You know, the Christian walk is a long path. And the Bible says that the walk with the Lord is the short, narrow, hard path. But the wide path is the easy path that leads to destruction. And that path is hard. And we fall down all the time. And we take the wrong turn all the time. But when we get back up, we confess our sins and we keep going. It's that hard, continuous struggle that we are always trying to walk and continue to find out what God wants me to do. Read somewhere here a while ago as well. You know, we all have hard times in our life. Those storms come, correct? Um, read a book where two things can happen. Those storms come in your life. You could come out the other side of the storm stronger, smarter, wiser. Or you can come out of a storm wet and the next time a storm like that comes what happens you're going to make the same mistakes it gets wet you know Christ promises that in this life you will struggle he said if they persecute me guarantee you they are going to persecute you as well you know we see a lot of preachers on TV that promise if you're doing what God wants you to do you're going to have riches and houses and cars and you know, the pray it, claim it, and if I'm following God's word, he's going to bless me with everything, and I'm not going to have hardships in my life. Well, Christ sent his disciples out. He told them they could take one coat, one coat only. That doesn't sound like riches, does it? Eleven of the twelve disciples were murdered for their faith. Doesn't sound like riches and happiness. Hard times are going to come in life. And that's where this trying to find out what's pleasing to the Lord. That's where this walk, where we continually, we hang on, we learn, and we get through those lessons. And when those hard times come again, we're better. 
We're stronger. We understand what's going to happen in life. I don't have you remember Ruth Edsminger. Uh, how tall was Ruth? <laughs> uh, Ruth left us, went home, what did we say, five years ago, four years ago, at mid-80s. I'm not sure. I don't think she'd ever tell you how old she was. Um, always sat back there in the corner. And uh, Ruth uh, walked with the Lord whole life. And the thing that always amazed me about Ruth, buried her husband, buried some kids, no matter what happened in life, she was just steady. Steady. Nothing ever got her down. Nothing ever worried her. At 83, still lived by herself. She had one room in her house. We used to have Bible studies in her house. I was in a small group that she was in. And when we were there, she had one room in her house that was nothing but the room that she went and prayed and read her Bible in. And we always joked that I always thought Satan himself was probably afraid to go in Ruth's house. Because she'd take that finger and if she thought you need to know something, she'd walk up with her finger and she'd do this in your chest and tell you what you need to know. Am I right? And tell you what you need to know whether you thought you really wanted to know or not. And I'm sure when Saint came and knocked on the door, she did the same thing. You don't belong here. I'm a child of the king. But that comes from that daily walk. You don't get there overnight. It's that constant struggle that we're willing to continue to grow, we're continuing to learn, and we're continuing to progress forward. Um, back to First John. Second half of verse 7. We have fellowship one with another. And I know we say this, I don't know how many times we probably say this um, in here, but the Christian walk is not a solo sport. If you don't have people in your life, you're going to struggle. You've got to have people that will hold you accountable. You've got to have people that will give you sound godly advice. You've got to have people that will walk by you no matter what happens in your life. When those storms come that will carry you, those times I wander off the path will come and grab me and put me back on the path. You've got to have those people in your life. Now, I'm not talking about your spouse. Again, your spouse needs to be there. But you can't put all that on your spouse. And I know Jared says it all the time. Men, you need men in your life. Women, you need women in your life. Okay? I'm sorry. I don't understand sometimes the struggles that my wife has. Because we're different that way. You need men, you need men in your life. Women, you need women in your life. You need someone that you can go talk to. I have a group of men that we meet with about every couple of weeks. No agenda. Get together, it always starts with a meal. The Bible says you get together and break bread, and there's something that happens when you do that. Don't ask me why. It's one of the mysteries of the Bible, I guess, and I like to eat. But we just talk, and through that conversation, things come out. Man, I'm struggling with this, and I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do here. This happened last week, and I'm just befuddled. I know if I have a hard week coming out, I can send out a text, and I get text all week long. How's your week going? Are you handling this? But you've got to have people in your life that are willing to do that. And to me, you know who gets this whole idea of fellowship the best? People in recovery. You won't find someone in recovery, no matter it's alcohol, sex, drugs, no matter what, that misses their meetings. If you find someone that's been in recovery, they've been clean for 20 years and they fall off the wagon, most of the time if you talk to them, they'll tell you what happened. I missed three meetings. And when they do fall off the wagon, they need to get back together. What's the first thing they do? They find a meeting to go to. Why? Because they realize it's hard and you can't do this by yourself. 
If you've ever gone to one of those meetings and someone does stand up and say, man, I screwed up, I, I fell off the wagon this week. It's not, oh, it's okay, you'll, you'll do better next time. It's what you do wrong. Why'd you miss meetings? How come you didn't call your sponsor? How come you didn't call the other three people in your phone? How come you didn't? How come you didn't? They hold them accountable. People in recovery get this great. You've got to have people in your life. Attitude. In verse 8 it says, If we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make Him a liar and His word, not is, his word is not in this. Okay, when I become a Christian, I do not become sinless. Okay? And I think maybe that's a conception of the world. Oh, look, the Christians, they think they don't do anything wrong. Follow me around for a day. Okay? And it's not sinless. I think as Christians, we need to become sin conscious. The more we walk and the closer we come to God, the more we become aware of those things in my life that don't line up with what God wants me to do. The more I hear the Holy Spirit telling me, I don't like this. You need to do something about this. And it's that constant walk with him that does that. Uh, You remember the prodigal son? Part of the prodigal son I I always got, but part of it until a couple years ago, I really, I guess I really didn't get. Remember the prodigal son? You had two boys. One of them decided, give me my inheritance now. And he goes off and takes the money. And within a year, maybe, he blows everything. Drugs, alcohol, women, Lives it all up and realizes one day while he's living in a pig pen that his dad's servants eat better than him. You got the other son who does everything right. And if you think about it, when the other brother went off, what happened to this boy's workload? Doubled, right? Two boys went to one. So he stays and does everything his father asked. Well, of course, in the prodigal son, he comes home. Now, if we look at the prodigal son from a world point of view, I get that. I understand when he comes home, forgiveness is great. I understand that's a picture of me. Every time I screw up, I come back to my father. My father says, it's okay. Get back up, dust me off. Let's try again. I love you. and As long as you're willing to come back, I will take you back. But part of me, from the world point of view, I understood the older boy. Done everything right. But the Bible says that the world looks at the outside, but what does God look at? God looks at the heart. So if you look at the prodigal son from the viewpoint of God, look at the heart of the prodigal. When he comes back, what does he tell his dad? I'm not worthy. I have messed everything up. Falls on his face in front of his dad. Don't take me back as a son. Make me your lowliest servant. Pay me minimum wage. Make me live out with the servants. I will take whatever you are willing to give me. But if you look at the attitude of the older boy, I've done everything right. I stayed and worked. I've slayed for you. Me, 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 me. So when it comes to sin as we walk in the light, it's that attitude of our heart. Are we loving to those people around us? When God looks at us and says, "Ah, we really need to talk about this, are we willing and humble enough for God to sand those rough edges? Are we really humble enough to let God work on our life? Or are there parts of our life that we say, hmm, that's mine. I'm not giving that up. I do everything you ask me to do, but I'm not doing that. 
So it's that willingness to change. Denying sin in our life is what it means to walk in darkness. Repenting of those sins in our life is what it means to walk in the light. Last thing today, when we talk about what is light, you are light. If you look back in Matthew, chapter 5, it says, You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do men light a lamp and put it under the peck measure, but on a lampstand it gives light to all who are in the house. So let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. You ever wonder why when we become Christians, God just doesn't bring us home then? be a lot easier, wouldn't it? (laughs) But we're supposed to be the light of the world. I mean, think about your own life. How'd you end up here? Someone probably invited you. Somebody you knew, you saw something different in. What's up for Christians? How'd you become a Christian? I bet you you will find very few people that said, I was in in the motel and I found a Gideon Bible and picked it up and read it and became a Christian. Most of us became Christians how? Because somebody else was willing to do what? Share their story. And sometimes we think witnessing is this big elaborate, I have to know my Bible inside and out. It's not. We all have a story. And they're all different. We all have a story of how God changed us. One day I was here, and I don't know what happened. But I said, God, I'm tired, I can't do it no more. And this is how my life is now. What is the compassion that we show other people? We talked about goodness, putting other people's words about us. Have you ever helped people before and they say, why are you doing this? I don't know why you're doing this. Gives you that crack of the door to say, because God told me to. I serve a living God and that's why I'm doing this. And it gives you that opportunity to share with somebody. And those seeds you plant, you may never know, may never see them again. But God commands us to be light. I had a preacher growing out that always used to say that you may be the only Bible someone in your life sees. It's kind of humbling. And the other part of that, you right now are exactly where God wants you to be. Exactly. And where you are, there are people that need to see light. Whether it's at work, whether it's in your neighborhood, whether it's whatever group that you're part of. Right now, you are exactly where God wants you to be. Let your light shine there. Let your light shine. And again, I would go back. If you have never accepted Christ as your Savior, take care of that today. See me afterwards. Find somebody. But if you've never stopped and said, I need to surrender my life to you, that's a big step. So take care of that today. Remember Jared and Luke and the youth as they are in God's country. Um, keep them in your prayers that they bring all of them back and uh, <laughs> in one piece. Um, I think they get back next Friday. So remember them as they are in Colorado and they travel that uh, this would be a great experience for our youth and some of them will go closer to God through all of this. We're glad you're here. If you have any questions, see me afterwards. Um, I never know how to wrap these up. So I'm going to say prayer and we'll go home. Lord, we thank you for the day. Uh, More than anything, Lord, we thank you for your sacrifice. We thank you that you are willing to come to this place. Hang on that cross, Lord. 
and uh, take the penalty of sin away for all of us. We thank you for loving us regardless. Uh, Verse 9 says that you are faithful and just to always forgive our sins if we are willing to come back to you. So, Lord, help us to be like the prodigal. Come to you with the correct heart. Uh, Lord, that repentance heart that we will let you allow us to work in our life. And uh, to continue to be the light of the world to those people around us. Lord, put someone in our path today um, or this week. um, And, Lord, make it apparent to us that that person is there for a reason. And that's for me to show you love to them. Again, we thank you for Jesus in his precious name. Amen. Have a great afternoon.